Oh, yeah. We're having some fun tonight, folks. If you got to listen to my MMA podcast and heard me getting dumped by Skype several times, you know that we're, we're, having, we're off to a good start. It's Technical Difficulties Week this week on the Rattle It Broadcasting Network. Hello, I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radlett, and this is the long road to technical difficulties. Uh, of course, my my host, my guest host, my buddy, listen, you know what, let, let, let's skip all the pleasantries. Sean, we got a problem here. Want to know what the problem is? What's the problem? Want to know what the problem is? What's I the problem? Set the show for 15, I set the show for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Which was with an hour overrun. I'm going to lose me, Fox Rodelich. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Uh, we are discussing Predator tonight. Regardless of any further interruptions from Skype or my own incompetence, we will be discussing Predator at length, or at least for the next hour and uh, 12 minutes. If I'm going to go try to see if we can... Uh, if I can edit the show while it's going on and edit the length, which I think I've done before, because this isn't the first time I've done this, um, and just realized that I did it. So I'm going to see if I can fix it. In the meantime, Sean's going to pretend like we're actually professionals here and bring out our guest. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's the hero of the ends up in that curse-like hell, make it sound like heaven. Uh, my guest, our guest, I should say, once again this week is my longtime great friend and mentor of the written word, uh, Northwest Missouri State University journalism instructor, former mayor of Warwick, Missouri, former bartender at the Elms in, uh, not Lexington, Excelsior Springs, Missouri, thank you, knew I'd remember it eventually, author, columnist, ghost hunter, and guru of geek, it is Jason Offit. Jason, how is you? I'm doing fantastic, and you know, whenever I'm on, uh, whenever I'm on a program, I always love uh, the introduction and, and the chat right before the introduction, because one show I was on, uh, the, the the hosts were talking, and one of the hosts, uh, the co-host said, where'd you dig this guy up? I'm thinking, yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> this was a lot better than that one, Sean. Thank you. Oh, oh okay, yeah. That's, it's it's a good thing you have a little more decorum and restraint than I do, because I think, uh, I think my reply would probably go something like, oh, oh, okay, audio check. Eat all the dicks. All of the dicks. Eat them all. Shovel a few off my plates onto yours. Okay. Well, I, uh, so, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a much nicer guy than, uh, than uh, forcing dicks on people. <laughs> no, no, and no. Well, let's not do and in, all, and, and in all fairness, that's what about six or seven years ago Sean would have said. 31-year-old 30, okay. Sean is much more mellow. So this show is going to be an adventure. It's also going to be a bit of an experiment. For those of you listening live, uh, we appreciate you, and you know normally this sort of nonsense doesn't happen. So there used to be a function. I used to be able to change the duration of it um, mid-show uh, in cases like this. For some odd reason, that, that function has been stripped away. Uh, when they, when I guess when they redid the, which is just, it's been a while since I've done something like this, uh, they stripped it away when they redid the studio and, and, and updated the software and blog talk radio. So in about nine minutes, the show is going to go dark, and we will have an hour of uh, a recorded show. So sorry about that for those who wanted to listen live. Come back at about 10.15, and uh, the whole show will be done at that point. 
In the meantime, we now have about 69 minutes to talk Predator, so let's get into it. All right. Uh, Predator, much like the Alien franchise, we have a situation where one could easily confuse these movies for horror films in, in the sense that you have a group of people in a confined area being stalked and murdered one by one. You know, it's a slasher flick uh, kind of combined with sci-fi. And that's, you know, it's, uh, for many reasons why the Aliens, the Aliens and Predator franchises have been tied together. They, uh, they were both two different takes on the very same idea. And while Aliens went in one very specific direction, Predator took an entirely different take. Uh, for, one, you know, for one thing, the Predator in and of itself as a species um, and, and as an idea was a lot more, presented a lot more sympathetically than the, than the aliens, you know, the, who were just these you know, remorseless insect killers. Uh, the predators were actually made into sort of a, a sympathetic sort of warrior culture, especially getting into the, uh, the second and the, and the third movies. But I want to go around the table really, really quickly and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, overall impressions of these movies, how you got to them, similar to like we did with Aliens. Let's start with our guest first, uh, Mr. Offit. Your take on the predator... Um, how you came to it, et cetera. Anything you want to say about it overall, kind of get us going. Well, in the uh, yeah, in, in, in the eighties, uh, anything Schwarzenegger was in, I would watch. Uh, and then I saw Twins, but almost anything Schwarzenegger <laughs> was in, I, I would watch. So I mean, I, I had to go watch this movie. I mean, it didn't just have him; it had uh, Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, who this I think was this. Uh, the two governors were in were in two movies together. This was this was just one, but I, I absolutely the other one is the other one is the Running Man and Batman and Robin. Jesse had a cameo in Batman and Robin. Did he really? Really? I'll have to go. Well, no, I don't want to watch that movie again. Um, <laughs> but the the Predator had everything that I wanted. Um, lots of violence. You got the army shooting things up. And got put in a bad situation. Schwarzenegger's got to got got to save them. But as as you said, it was also a slasher film. But one of the really cool things is it starts out, you know, like Commando. All right, where we're, we're blowing everything up, and then people keep dying one by one. And then when you look at it, the Predator himself is actually it could be from a different angle the hero of the movie. Put him, put Schwarzenegger in his, in his position in a different type of movie, and he's the hero. An interesting take on it, uh, not one that I would have thought of before. Um, though I did say that I think the Predators are, are at least sympathetic. They are not mindless killers. They are there on a hunt. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I was listening to a Jim Cornette. It's like Jason and I are very similar. Both of us grew up in the 80s. Both of us were big Schwarzenegger fans. Apparently, both of us were big wrestling fans. Um, so I know that was my big attraction to Predators. Schwarzenegger and the guy that used to commentate alongside Vince McMahon, Hot Bananas. I'm there. And I, 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 I just like you, I watched anything where Schwarzenegger had a huge machine gun and blew things up. Um, and, and Carl Weathers was always a dick. Remember, just, uh, just as an aside, remember Carl Weathers did this interview where it was right, he was, well, he was promoting Action Jackson, and he was like, you know, just for once I want to be the hero. And America rejected him soundly. <laughs> Carl Weathers, you will always be a dick. In any case, um, yeah, I loved 
the whole concept of Predator. Let's take Commando and make it a slasher film uh, with an alien in it. But, um, yeah, you know, if you think about hunting, and, you know, hunting, hunting in and of itself, you know, it's just the way people fed themselves uh, to this day. People still, still do it. But, you know, nobody ever looks at hunting from the point of view of the animal. So that's kind of what these movies are. It's like, let's take the whole, you know, it's, it, they've, we've done movies like this before, right? Surviving the Game with Ice-T, I think it is. And other movies where humans are the hunters, uh, humans are the hunted, and it sort of takes the whole concept and turns it on its ear. Uh, Sean, mm-hmm. Predator, how did you, come to, how did you uh, come to the Predator franchise? You know, I'll be honest with you. One of the reasons why I remember this movie so fondly is not... Is well, it's for the movie itself, but it's also for the era that it represents, and it's one that I really don't think you youngins can really appreciate. And it's because I first saw this movie when I was a kid growing up back in uh, the Twin Cities area of Minnesota, back in Spring Lake Park, and it was a time when my family didn't have cable. Um, one of the many reasons why there's not enough money in the world to get me back to that state. Okay, in addition to also the fact that why in every crikey fuck would I leave this weather is also because the taxes on everything are absolutely obscene. And it made cable really cost prohibitive for us, even though um, Dad made enough money that Mom was able to be a stay-at-home mom, um, Dad was able to take a lot of yearly hunting trips and everything on his salary working for the, for the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. But the thing was, is nowadays if you were in that kind of situation, you would be pretty much screwed. You would be just straight boned when it comes to movie watching if you didn't have something like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu Plus wherein you could watch something on demand. Just click, wait a few seconds depending on your connection, Boom, movie's right there. Um, In this case, but this was back in the era, back in the late 80s and early 90s, when TV networks, just actual, regular, every-ass, ordinary-day networks and their local affiliates actually showed movies. Um, It was back when you actually kind of took notice of the TV listings and... In particular, I remember uh, KITN29, which I think was the Fox affiliate, which was, got the same network where I discovered the Beverly Hillbillies and the 60s Batman series. Um, they had movies on all the time, and, uh, oh, God, there was another one, local independent station. I uh, can't remember the name of it right now off the top of my head. But every now and then as I, as I would be thumbing through the channels, I would come across a movie or something or something that would look cool. And you know, that, that was like striking gold. And I made all the other reruns and everything and all the shows that I was really too young to get that into. Um, I remember that was the way I saw the never-ending story for the first time, was I saw it on TV. And in that case, this was how one afternoon, I forget what year was, or... or Wait a second, Sean. You just mentioned that. I would have loved to have seen Schwarzenegger in The NeverEnding Story. That would have been a great crossover. Can you imagine him as the rock biter? That would be amazing. These look like good hands. (laughs) Don't they? Hey, talking to you. Hey, 
You little shit. Who is your dad? Who is your daddy? And what does he do? Um. Hey, really quick. Uh, for those listening live, we have we have a reprieve. They they moved the duration the ability to change the duration of the podcast to within the studio. So I have now made it ninety minutes. Yay! We have a real show. Woo! All right, now let's begin telling stories of our childhood. First, I was born, which goes without saying. Well, anyway, as I as I was saying, I just I just kind of came across this one day on TV, and I just sat and just tuned right in for the two hours with commercials that it was on. And it, it was such a simple action movie. Just guys with, just big guys with big ass fuck off guns shooting at a big fucking dreadlocked alien. The hell wasn't the love? Of course I was in with this. And, you know, it's just, it's such a rare experience. Granted, I know it's edited for television and everything, but, and, and well, Jason, I'm sure you remember this too. Even even when we got basic cable, it was still a great time for movies because you still had shows like movies for guys who like movies and USA Up All Night and Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs and If You Had a Vagina, Dinner and a Movie. Um <laughs> on the likes of TBS and TNT and USA. I hated those two people. Oh, my God. Wait. They, they used to advertise dinner in a movie during Nitro, and I was like, I hate you two people. Go back to the oh, Luchas. Oh, oh, God. Well, you see, and, and again, and that was not that I happened to come across this, is nowadays, again, we, we have Netflix and everything. We have these apps that can make recommendations and stuff. You mentioned Surviving the Game. That's another one. The very first time I saw that, I, I think it was, I think it was, and I was just sitting around. Everybody else was out of the house. I had nothing to do, and so I just decided to see whatever the hell this movie was. And then all of a sudden, fuck me sideways and call me in the morning. I am watching, well, obviously this is what I know now. I didn't know who the cast was. I'm going to watch Rock, Dr. Talk, The Hobo with a Shotgun, and Gary Goddamn Beauty taking IT around the Pacific Northwest Woods on ATVs with big fuck you automatic weapons. It was the same. You know, that was, that was also the premise of an episode of Gilligan's Island called The Hunter. Yeah, but Big game hunter had, comes to the island, hunts Gilligan. Yeah, but yeah. this one had Dr. Koch with a big bastard gun. There, there, there are some this people... One had, actually, this one had Mary Ann. Argument, argument over. I, I'm, sure there, I'm sure there are some people who were big Scrubs fans who wish that maybe that was the way the show would have, en- the show would have ended. Oh, Jesus, Charlene. I, you know what? Fuck it. Seven seasons of this. Click, click, boom. All of a sudden, Sarah Chalk is wearing Zach Braff's cerebellum. And somehow still making that look sexy as all hell. Anyway. Um, so, so you just kind of you just kind of found these movies. It was catch as catch can. This was the way I saw Child's Play and Surviving the Game. And uh, as we're talking about today... Predator and God knows how many other movies on how many other 
on how many other channels. And it, it was great because there was a sense of, sense of good fortune, like you kind of earned it just by happening to stumble across it. So, you know, you little bastards, be thankful for what you have because you have never had to sit through Jim Carrey in once bitten so you could see child's play. You've also never had to go to a video rental store to get a VHS cassette tape and rent a uh, videotape player in this ugly blue heavy-ass case to take home and plug into your TV. You know, I never had to rent a player, but, yeah, every single, every single week, that was where my allowance went. It usually went to me renting whatever copy of Madden was out at the time, whatever the year happened to be, and just scrolling through this, uh, this miasma of god-awful direct-to-video releases, just looking for something with what looked like a vaguely interesting premise. Yeah, and, and sometimes... Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes I, sometimes I got Clockwork Orange. Other times I got Leprechaun. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to go back over to Jason for a second. Uh, the Predator. I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking right of Jennifer to... Aniston right now in Leprechaun. I'm I'm stuck. <laughs> Let's see if we can get you unstuck, sir. <laughs> um, Arnold, the, the golden age of Schwarzenegger films is in the 80s, and it really starts, and I, I would say it starts with um, The Terminator in 1984, but you can even go as far back as the two Conan movies in, uh, in 1982 and again 1984. Uh, you just look at this list here, not counting Red Sonja. Um, you've got the Conans, Terminator, uh, Commando. That was, I think, like the highlight. Uh, um, Raw Deal, Predator, The Running Man. Red Heat, and then uh, Skipping Twins, you get to Total Recall, and things start to go down. A- after Total Recall, I think, you know, that was like the last really good one, the really pure Schwarzenegger gold. And then after that, things start to fall off with the exception of Terminator 2. I mean, again, I go back to Last Action Hero, True Lies, Junior, Eraser, which no one liked, uh, Jingle All the Way, and then Batman and Robin. And then 1999 brings us the end of days, and people stop going to see Schwarzenegger movies for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, The Predator, uh, much like Commando and some of these other movies, was get Schwarzenegger in a movie where he can run around showing off his huge arms and... <laughs> Sorry, I just got written in. How dare you besmirch true lies. I love that movie. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> but, you know, get Schwar- it was always the same thing. Get Schwarzenegger in a movie where he's running around, beating people up, shooting big guns, and just, che- and just change the scene. Um, but Predator, for what it was, I, I'm just, after re-watching it, the thing that, and this is what I want to talk about, Schwarzenegger's range as an actor, especially during this period, where all that was being asked of him was be a superhero, Okay. Schwarzenegger, more so than even Stallone or Norris or a lot, you know, he was it. He was the big American superhero of the 80s, and that was all anyone ever asked of him when they were directing him. He didn't have to act well, and that's certainly what people criticized him for. It was like, oh, the acting here is poor, but it's fun to watch him uh, run around and shoot stuff and beat people up and, of course, utter his line, I'll be back. I actually thought he pulled off the character Dutch pretty well here. Because you get caught up in the action, 
But the scenes where he's talking to Carl Weathers and saying things like, you know, we don't do this kind of work and you're putting my team at risk. I don't know. Did, did you feel like this fell sort of on the commando side of things where it's just, you know, no, 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 no. You're best when you're not talking and you're running around shooting stuff. Or did you actually see, you know, a bit of acting out of him in Predator? Well, was it the acting or was it the script that gave his character a little bit more depth? Uh, he's basically been the same character in every single movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There was uh, the, the, the entire movie, the entire cast of characters, there was more, um, there was more depth to them. Definitely his, his band of people, when they, when they start get, getting picked off, you care about them, you know, getting picked off. Uh, even the, even the dude I can't remember his name who kept shaving his head. The only thing about the movie that <laughs> yeah. bothered me, the dude kept shaving his head. Um, yeah, but, he was, uh, he was yeah, shaving in the middle of combat. Right, right. As as people were getting picked off, he was still shaving. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't really know if it's uh, if it's you know so much Schwarzenegger showing actual acting chops, or uh, again if the script. I think I'm, I think I'm gonna put it on the script. I think it was probably a little bit uh, a little bit better than uh, than Raw Deal. <laughs> Raw Deal is terrible. Um, but no, I don't know, Sean. What do you think? Because I, I would tell you that uh, you know that an actor with any kind of ability will rise to a well written script. But we have certainly seen situations where you know the words on paper are just fine. The actor reading them is terrible, and I didn't get that sense with Predator. I felt like. I felt like this is one of his better performances, yes, because the script is there, but because he actually showed that he had the minimum range required for the role. All right. Well, that sounds like my cue to elaborate a little bit on what really went into this movie. Now, everybody out there, close your eyes for a second. Imagine it's the mid-'80s in the U.S. Circa about 1984, 1985. Um, Rocky IV has come out, and the opinion is pretty much that it's taken Sylvester Stallone's baby, his legacy, his meal ticket, the thing that made him Sylvester Stallone, and pretty much spread it about as thin as it's going to go. At this point... Rocky in his star-spangled boxer shorts is looking down between his skis, and holy fuck, the shark looks like a termite. That's about. You're not it. criticizing one of my favorite Christmas movies, are you? Rocky Four is a great Christmas movie. Yes, that's it, Jason. I was saying this just to poke holes in your favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> Damn you and such. He fought the Russian. He fought Dolph Lundgren on Christmas. It makes it a Christmas movie. So anyway. He's got a a point there, considering we said the same thing about Die Hard. Takes place at Christmas, therefore Christmas movie. And damn you, now all of a sudden I'm thinking about making the Long Road to Ruin Christmas present to everybody. We're finally finishing the fucking Rocky franchise next December. (laughs) Let's Um, Let's get through January. Right, right. Let's get through this one first. So, imagine that, and all of a sudden, Stallone, for the first of what would become many reasons, is starting to become a little bit of a joke butt. 
And actually, the joke that kind of makes its rounds is that the fifth movie would hinge on Rocky fighting an alien. So, yes, when Family Guy made that stupid fucking joke, there was actually something to it, believe it or not. Let that bake your ziti for a moment. Seth MacFarlane actually got something right. Anyway, um, but of course, leave it to two people to take things a little bit too seriously. Enter screenwriters Jim and John Thomas. They took this running gag going around, kind of trying to take a little bit of the piss out of the little runt, and actually thought, hey, wait a second, what the fuck if? So, paired, they wrote what would become Predator, what was initially called Hunter, and in 1985, 20th Century Fox picked it up and handed it over to mega producer, legendary rainmaker, Joel Silver, who at the time was the guy who produced Commando. Uh, he brings on uh, his mentor, Lawrence Gordon, as a co-producer. John McTiernan gets his first directing job pre-Die Hard. And they're off and running, but the thing is, initially it was going to be a very different movie. Um, and this is where I've got to give some credit to Schwarzenegger, because for all of the fun that gets rightfully made of his doofy acting and the accent, and the gap, and the gap teeth, and the human I would leave a message at the beep, and uh, and all that. The fact is, the man's not a moron. He is not. He parlayed actually a very extraordinary charisma and will, and into what also in the combine that with. Be a pretty keen business. Fine, he actually looked at the script pretty carefully, and his problem was it was the script at the, at the time called for him to go mono a dreadlock horror, and that fucked him. He, he actually didn't like that. He didn't like the idea of being Earth's sole savior. So it was actually Arnold that had the idea to put together a big squad of badass, kill-all-of-the-things commandos and kind of let the Predator tear through them first. Um, He felt that that would make it a lot more believable. And and he's right. That is more believable than just wondering, how the fuck did the Austrian death machine just manage to get dumped right squarely in the middle of the jungle like this? Um... But there were some other changes that kind of had to be made along the way, too, because in addition to that, uh, the Predator was nearly not quite so imposing. Uh, Of course, Kevin Peter Hall ended up playing the role. He is, of course, a big seven-foot-two mountain of fuck you and really, really, really brought the creature to life with, with all of his athleticism and his unique mannerisms. Uh, yeah, he really kind of just dove straight into the part, into the makeup, and managed to kind of act with it and with Stan Winston's brilliant creature design. Uh, 
The only thing was, he nearly wasn't the guy to play him. That almost went to Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, hang on, I'm going to double-check something here real quick. But like I said, Kevin Peter Hall, 7'2". Jean-Claude and he, Van Damme... And he, and he absolutely has to be. And, you know, in order to make some, you know, it's kind of the old pro wrestling thing. In order to make your hero look like he's, you know, in for some trouble and give him a, give him a big enough menace, you, you have to give him, you know, they say, you know, a monster or something, but you have to give him something that looks bigger and imposing and more dangerous. And Schwarzenegger is yeah. no small man. So, so yeah, so, so picture that. You've got seven foot two Kevin Peter Hall. Um... Basically, to give you kind of another little franchise connection, he's roughly about the same height as the guy who played the Xenomorph in the first Alien movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's five foot nine. <laughs> that's my height. That, that's my, that means that Jean-Claude Van Damme is about the, the same height as your typical 155-pound UFC fighter. Not exactly a big thrill for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Arnold, Arnie, I believe, as I recall, is between about 6'2 and 6'4. Wasn't really all that removed from his pro bodybuilding career. He was still 250-plus pounds of bust-you-in-the-ass muscle. Um, who didn't really, I mean, really, he had the presence. He didn't really need to, didn't need to be, had, you know, The Rock's charisma or anything like that like that, where he was just always kind of jumping off the screen in that way. In a way, he did kind of just have to be there. That was, that was all it really took for him. It was sort of that effortless. So, but that's the thing is, I don't think he was just there. I go back to my initial point with this and, and, and where this all started. I really feel like this is one of, of the Golden Age Schwarzenegger films. I mean, look, you're not asking him to do a lot with Terminator. Be monotone, walk like a robot, and shoot stuff. Terminator was an awesome movie. Terminators 1 and 2 were incredible movies. And he, did, he played his role well. But when you talk about not asking an, an actor to do much of anything, those were those two movies. I go back to um, some of his other ones that he's done where, you know, what, what is it you're asking of this man? Commando was, was, was probably my favorite one of, of, of this group where – Run around the field and go get a Melissa, a, Alyssa Milano back. Just be a badass. There's no, there, you know, that's it. The, the, we weren't asking him to do much of anything else. I feel like from Predator, at, at the very least, Predator, The Running Man, and Total Recall, in that order, is where they start to actually ask him to act a bit. Not a lot. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not, he, he's not, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, he's not Faye Dunaway in any of these things, but he's at least being asked to stretch himself just a bit. Yeah. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on that. As as much as I said, the the script uh, in, in the Predator allowed for uh, you know, more character development all across the board. Looking back at his movies, Conan the Barbarian was one of my all time favorite movies uh, when I was younger. And I mean, looking back at 1982, his acting ability was oh dear God, it was better in the Terminator. Okay, again <laughs> when he was. The first Terminator, when he said like 384 words during the entire entire movie, uh, so yes, he did. He, he by the time he got to the Predator, the, the Predator, uh, his character Dutch, he he acted uh, a lot better than he had before. 
I don't know if it's gotten much better felt, since then. <laughs> well, I at well, least felt like I was talking. I was looking at a person. No, not not just uh, you know not not to get completely off track, but people looked at sort of Henry Cavill's performance as Superman as being lifeless, uh, sort of a, a droning sort of uh, sort of person. Just you know, just Superman is this vibrant character, and Henry Cavill played him like you know like he was depressed. Um, and, and that's sort no, of well, that's not his with. fault. That's not, that's, not, that's not Henry's fault. Let's go with the no, and I don't, and I don't want to go down that road either. But I mean, that's what happens with some of these with some of these things is, you know, you're you're casted because of a look. You know, you're casted because you you play a gimmick very well, and nobody bothers to ask anything more of you. Um, okay, as, as far as Superman goes, it's Superman. There's a reason Batman always pokes fun at him by calling him the Boy Scout. He's not Wally West. He's not, he's not Hal Jordan. He's not Guy Gardner. He's not even Dick fucking Grayson in terms of personality. He's Superman. You, you kind of have to do it with the moral dilemmas and everything because you're damn sure not going to do it with witty character dialogue. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the plot of this thing. Uh, so it's, there's not much in the way to explain. Essentially, a group of mercenaries led by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he is joined by, um, you know, Bill Paxton was my favorite part of Aliens. Uh, Jesse Ventura, and he's everyone's favorite part of this thing. Jesse Ventura as Blaine wait, Cooper. Hang on a sec. Mark, i got to do something yeah. real quick. First time I'm ever going to do this on this show, because of the movies we were talking about, I feel no inappropriate that I play the action movie drinking game. Okay. Every time... I don't have anything to drink, though. I don't have anything to drink. Well, well, you don't have to, but I'm going to. Um, Mostly because I still got to work after this. Um, So I'm going to pour myself a nice shot of Jameson here. Oh, goodness. Uh, And uh, every time we cover an action movie cliché, I'm going to work my way down my drink a little bit. Hey, hey, Sean, get yourself a couple of kids. You can't afford Jameson. Uh, I'm sorry, what was that, Jason? I said get yourself a couple of kids. You won't be able to afford Jameson. Enjoy it while you got it, buddy. Uh, I'm not sure how much I really plan on having kids unless they're the furry four-legged kind. I drank water tonight because we haven't gone grocery shopping. Okay, so let's play. Um <laughs> All right, so Jesse Ventura is the Bill Paxton of the Predator series in that he has, he is given the most awesome lines in the movie, and there's only uh, two of them. No, as, as, as we will cover, Bill Duke, far and away, has got the best two rounds of dialogue in the entire movie. Oh, I don't know. Let, let, let's see. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to pick up for Jesse Ventura here. Uh, when, they, you know, when they say, oh, you've been hit, and he says, I ain't got time to bleed. Named a book after that. Okay, the I ain't got time to bleed. People still say it and they don't know why. Um, okay. you know, I that's that's a fantastic line. My se- second favorite line of his from that movie is, "This stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus." <laughs> you know, Great I don't line. like that one nearly as the following line, which had look, we got off to a rough start tonight just because I was having issues with Skype and I had forgotten to uh, set the duration of the show. But my initial thing was this podcast ain't got time to bleed and is not for any slack-jawed faggots. 
I absolutely love his react. I love his re- he's You have to picture, he's sitting there in the chopper, for those who haven't seen this, and he's offering everybody chew, and nobody wants any. Like, one guy's shaving, the other guy's like, nah, you know. And, and the Indian just looks at him, and he's like, y'all a bunch of slack-jawed faggots. Awesome. <laughs> Jesse Ventura, you are my hero. Well, that uh, you were my hero. Okay, okay, right, 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 right there. Big bunch of men doing manly men things. Drink. <laughs> and over that good cliche. All right. Well, and that's um, that's one of the things about the movie about the about the manly men doing manly things. One of the, one of the things that I really like about this movie which is kind of a turning point from the action movie to the slasher movie when they realize they're being hunted and they realize the predators out there. What do the guys do? They point their weapons at the jungle, not knowing if anything's out there or not and blow the (laughs) shit out of it. Oh Oh, yeah. uh, uh, I will get to that scene because I just, I just have to fanboy that because that is one of the most, I'll get that in time, but that's one of the most glorious parts of the entire Damn, almost two hours. Was anyone else waiting for Bill Murray to walk on walk onto the screen and go, whoa, 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 nice shooting, Dex. Nice shooting, Dex. No, no, quite, no, quite frankly, I was just waiting for Rep fucking Brown to emerge with an even bigger chain gun. <laughs> um, all right, so the plot of this in 50 words or less. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger leads a group of mercenaries. He is joined by um, uh, Richard Chavez, who plays Pancho. Um, he plays uh, Bill Duke, who is the friend of Jesse Ventura, who then sings Long Tail Sally. It's actually an, it's an, actually, it's an awesome scene. Sonny Landon, who plays Billy Soul, who is their tracker, and Shane Black. Um, that's the team. They are uh, a rescue squad. That is what they do. They don't go. They don't assess. I'm sorry, I swear I'm not meaning to Jeff Harris you here, but trivia time. Guess what? Shane Black, that name sounds familiar to anybody else? No? Okay. This was one movie removed from when he wrote Lethal Weapon, and... Oh, about a good, oh, more than 20 years before the man wrote and directed Iron Man 3. Outstanding. <laughs> Anything else? Okay. Um, I, think, I think if we ever do, like, a live video of this, I'm just going to give Sean the ability to do, like, bubble blurbs while I'm doing my, my bits. Um, <laughs> so that would... So, so when Sean when Sean feels the need to break in with something not totally related to what we're talking about, he can just bubble blurb it, uh, a la VH1s, whatever. In any case, um, yeah. so, <laughs> so back to the uh, so back to the plot of this. So they're a they're a rescue squad. They're not uh, they're not assassins. They're not um, stone cold killers or anything like that. They're they you know they they are brought in specifically to go into hotbed places in the world and uh, and rescue hostages and such. And that is what they think they are supposed to be doing here. Um, they are brought in by Carl Weathers, who plays George Dillon, who is a former teammate of Dutch, and he presently works for the CIA. They think they're going in to get an ambassador. Uh, as it turns out, this was a setup. 
uh, by Carl Weathers, character George Dillon, again, play, playing a dick. Um, but him and Billy D. Williams, you know, what, what, what's with the 80s and black people, be, you know, betraying their white friends? What's going on there, Jason, huh? Don't answer that. Um, so, so Billy, Billy D. Williams betrayed no one in his Colt 45 commercials. No one. No, <laughs> no. No, on, you know damn well what I'm referring to. Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours, how dare you? How dare you besmirch one of the great buddy copy, buddy comedies with this supposition? Apparently that's tonight's theme, is me is technical difficulties in besmirching beloved movies. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so they are set, they, they are set up, uh, and what they are really sent there to do is disrupt the, uh, the possibility of, a war, of an invasion by the South American army. So they go in there and they blow the place to fuck all, and along the way, they start to see uh, skinned bodies hanging from trees, and they think it's the gorillas doing it, though, though that seems a little odd for these particular gorillas. Um, as I said, they blow the place to fuck all. They realize they've been had, and now it's about just getting out of the jungle. They aren't immediately evac'd because the place is too hot. They have to get to a certain point in the jungle. So, so basically, the rest of the movie is the, is the Lord of the Rings. It's the long walk back, Okay. <laughs> And that's when they, re- and that's when the predator, um, seeing these people and seeing that they are appropriate to be hunted, uh, starts to pick them off one by one until they realize they are being hunted. And that leads to great lines like "If it bleeds, we can kill it," which I think is also an Austrian death metal song, an Austrian death machine song. Um, and and then you get a lot of the tropes of of, of slasher films. It's, my, one of my actually one of the great lines in this movie is said by the um, ho- by the hostage that they take, whose name is Anna, who was one of the gorillas, and in the fir- the first guy that gets picked off, she says, "The jungle came alive and took him," uh, which then of course leads to them just trying to destroy the jungle with automatic weapons. Um, <laughs> as as I said, one by one the predator stalks the team, and one of the great things about this movie is the slow burn. The, the incremental reveal. Uh, it, it's, I, I know the movie was shot for, uh, what was it, 15 million, I think? Yeah, 15 million. The film's budget was about $15 million. Um, you know, it sounds like it's a lot of money, but you know, for movies, it's kind of meh. And all you see for the first you know, hour of this is the temperature, uh, temperature site of the predator, the, the first person view of the predator, which is just, you know, the temperature outline. Um, and occasionally the only thing, you know, the, uh, if you didn't know what it was you were watching, the only time you, it's even revealed that this thing is not of this world is when he puts his hand in front of his face and you see that it's more of a claw. Um, so it's things like that, you know, and it isn't until the third act of the movie that you even start to see what this thing looks like. And, uh, and and what it is that they're dealing with, um, and that's really the, the the whole third act is he's finally not invisible anymore, and it becomes as Sean said the mano a mano of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to outwit and outgun uh, this larger, more deadly beast. So, getting up to that point, the predator stalks and kills almost everybody, and then uh, it's it's just down to Arnold Schwarzenegger who uh, covers himself in mud. And you know they have their final battle where he has to try to like basically outwit the predator, and in the end he he manages to do it. Um, the predator is basically subdued but not killed, and the predator gets the gets the last laugh 
uh, in that he sets himself up to explode, and Schwarzenegger has to run like hell, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. Um, so you wanted to talk a little bit about the characters, and then we uh, and, I, and we do have to wrap shortly on this first movie and move on to Predator Two. Um, but you said Bill Duke has better lines than Jesse Ventura. I don't buy it. What's your evidence? Oh God. Okay, fine. Piece of evidence number one. Apollo fucking Creed, in the course of his clutching along, manages to, as you recall, I think he knocked something down the hillside and just made all kinds of rackets. And he, he watches it fall just this kind of like, oh, look on his face. Turns around, there is the fucking proto-Terry Crews staring him, just cold as the grave, right in the eyes, and just says to him, without blinking, Without Lincoln, you'll go to those motherfucker. You give away opposition again, I'm going to bleed you out real slow and leave you here. You got that. And for just a second, you think if you pause it and you play it back slow enough, you think that maybe you just might be able to spot the moment when Carl Weathers leaves about a 15 cured shit in his pants with Bill Duke up in his face? I would tell you that maybe is a little bit better than I Ain't Got Time to Bleed, but it is not better than You're All a Bunch of Slack-Jawed Faggots. Okay, but, but, Bill also gets one of the only kind of real acting moments in the movie. And granted, yeah, I'll grant right, I'll grant right at the top, this, this isn't going to be David Tennant or Kenneth Branagh or, or Sir Lawrence Olivier. Anybody like that doing Shakespeare? But, or Faye Dunaway. Or Faye Dunaway, for that matter. Yes, thank you. I knew I missed <laughs> someone. Um, after after Blaine has had a hole the size of a softball blown through him by the alien, by the Predator's fuck your couch energy weapon, um. Matt takes it hard, and actually, they kind of give him a little bit of a scene that's one of the nice moments in the movie where it, you get a little bit of a glimpse of the characters, but they don't dwell on it so long that it slams on the brakes and really grinds the movie to a halt. There's the scene where he's kind of spending some last moments with Blaine's body, uh, takes one last nip from the, from the flask and kind of leaves it on him. And and says this goodbye. This nice kind of tap sounding, uh, just real bare trumpet playing over it. A nice bit of scoring by Alan Silvestri there. And then later, as Mac is waiting on the predator to show up again to try to pick somebody else off, uh, he he's kind of having a little bit of a conversation with his memories of of Blaine. And remembering an an old mission, and even briefly, kind of kind of laughing about how they were the only two members of their platoon that walked out of the jungle alive, and then just in a in a second, uh, he says that he's gonna find whoever did this to him, and says, "I'm gonna carve your name in him." And it's it's one of the only moments in the movie where somebody isn't just uttering written to sound cool dialogue. It's it's where he's trying to take a movie that's not real rich in character 
and still trying to kind of squeeze what he can out of it so that you're actually, you know the chances are he's probably going to be predator fodder. But at the same time, you're kind of given enough investment in him and in a, his quest for vengeance and to kind of balance the books on for Blaine that you kind of want him to defy the odds and, and make it out. And so you're actually kind of kind of sorry when it happens a few scenes later. Um, it, it's kind of the equal but opposite way that we feel when, well, Dylan first gets his arm blown off from the elbow down. Um, but also when he, when he eventually kind of meets his end. Uh, everybody... But everybody, you're kind of, one guy's kind of a funny guy. He's joking around a little bit with with Billy, who also gets kind of a great hero death scene when he kind of decides that he's through running and he's just going to face whatever it is that's after him, stands on the log, throws down his, down his weapons, and basically, just, and basically just says, let's do this. It's something that movies don't really do often enough, but this one does exceptionally well. But Bill Duke is the only one who really gets a chance to kind of do that with the dialogue. Everybody remembers Jesse because of the delivery and because it's Jesse Ventura, and yes, because he named the book after it. But really, those two moments and this one more are the reasons why I really love this movie. And it's the one that you alluded to. It's when Mac catches a glimpse of the Predator running through the jungle, and he snaps up the chain gun, and just, he goes off the reservation, cuckoo for Cocoa Pops, crazy pants manners, and starts just softly uttering the lyrics to Long Tall Sally to himself, and then gets out old painless, and just lets out what I can only define as the most accurate possible Red Brown howl you have ever heard and just start just rattling off shots and just going, I should think my favorite line of his in the whole movie. Hang on, hang on one second. I actually have... Hang on, guys. I actually have audio from that scene. It's very powerful, and I plan and I planned it for just this podcast. So let's go ahead and hear audio from the Predator. That scene, that emotional scene where Mac howls into, you know, warrior howls into the jungle, you know, tr- uh, trying to seek vengeance for his friend. <laughs> Sorry, go on. I said, I think my favorite line of, of, of Max in the whole movie is when he spots the Predator and he whispers, I see you. Oh, yes, yes, that, thank you. I almost completely forgot about that. Um, yeah, that, that is when we really know Elvis has truly left the building. But the fact is, what makes this scene absolutely hilarious and why I howl with laughter every time I see it is because as he is channeling his inner rev and just everybody else joins him, just no idea what the ever-loving fuck else is going on, not seeing a damn thing, just 
find the same general direction and just start spraying ammunition until you have just cut down about a metric acre of rainforest. Shooting at absolutely fuck all. It's almost like off screen. Arnold actually went, hey, I'm plus need. Well, you know, Arnold, possible. Some trees do have a milky discharge to them. It's an A-plus bleed. We killed an A-plus. Before we leave the Bill Duke conversation, I do want to point out that the dude's, uh, this shows you how old the movie is. He's 70 years old. Wow. What the fuck? Hey. He was he was born during World War II. I want to I want to stay with you for a second, Jason. Um, last thing on this, and then last words, and then we'll move on to Predator Two. Um, we've talked a lot about horror films on the long road to ruin, and one of the things that comes up is how the characters in many horror films are just so damn unlikable that you end up, you know, it, it, it's a very twisted thing because you end up rooting for the monster. You want the monster. You know, Rob Winfrey, God bless you, wherever you are, sir, uh, brings up like Reggie the Reckless you know, and characters like that. And we talked in the Paranormal Activities podcast about how, you know what, fuck this family. <laughs> we wanted Toby to take them all down. And, and I don't know if that is intentional by the writers or if it's kind of like WWE writing and, you know, they just don't know what they're doing. But ultimately, that's what you walk away with. And I want you to just speak to the idea that for the you know for a slasher movie, you I think they made the soldiers remarkably likable. I mean maybe that maybe we like them because we're a bunch of weirdos. But you're not supposed to like Blaine because he called the entire chopper full of you know guys slack jawed faggots, and you're not supposed to like you know the one guy who's constantly making large vagina jokes. You know, or, I don't know. That's kind of well, why I wanted to get your take on this. Were these supposed to be likable guys, and it sort of goes against the horror grain, or were we not supposed to like them, and we're just a bunch of weirdos? Well, no, no, they they were ab- absolutely got, ab- absolutely likable people. I mean, uh, this was 1987. Having somebody big, you know, big and you know, like 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 Jesse Ventura, you know, calling calling these guys a bunch of slack slack jawed faggots. Didn't have the same, you know, connotation. Didn't stir up the same anger uh, in 1987 as it does now. Right? Uh, yeah, the, the guy telling the horrible, to go back to the horrible, 80s. Yeah, the guy telling the horrible vagina jokes. Okay, I can tell you, a lot of people probably identified, you know, knew that character because they, you know, hung out with some some guy who had absolutely no no uh no social uh no social skills in high school whatsoever but would say anything to try and fit in okay these people were not necessarily caricatures but they they were identifiable i mean i i I liked all of them jason i i know you're here but just just a little tip we refer to that guy as jeff (laughs) all right all right be nice okay yeah (laughs) His name is Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, about about the yeah about the about the characters. This is what I talked about when we when we were were talking about the Alien franchise. Is is what this is what makes a movie likable. This is what makes people care about a movie. Is when you when you make characters like this that that uh, they can either identify with or they they like, and then you start picking them off, and then you know you get get emotions involved, and then you know the Predator they did an excellent job with it. 
All right, last word on this movie, and instead of just sort of getting you, uh, you feel free to throw in whatever it is you feel needs to be said that wasn't said, but I want to end Predator on this final note, and that is um, despite the fact that the movie did fairly well at the box office, it got negative reviews from most of the movie reviewers of the time. However, Predator obviously has gone on to become one of, you know, America's cultural icons. Obviously, you know, people of our age group and those younger than us to this day still um, celebrate and enjoy the Predator franchise, the Predator characters. I mean, it had a rebirth uh, a few years ago with with the third movie because it's, it's, uh, it's held up over the last two decades, last not more than two decades, the last few decades. But again, that runs against the critics of the time sort of saying that this was a dumb movie, and they would say the same thing about the next one we're going to talk about, Predator 2. Um, just, again, anything that hasn't been said, things you want to talk about, but try to focus in on what do you think, what do you think the disconnect is between the critics who railed against Predator and just thought this was schlock versus those of us, myself included, who have held tight to the Predator, to the predator uh, icon and have wanted more, to, more of this universe, have wanted to see more of this character, more of this universe. You know, why are we in such vast disagreement with the critics, Jason? Well, let's look at who the critics are. Uh, the critics studied, uh, we studied, you know, film, we studied the cinema in, at the university, and they're looking for something with a lot of depth. They're looking for, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, the Predator ain't Lawrence of Arabia. The Predator is just fun. Let's look at a couple of more movies that I absolutely loved that the critics of the time panned completely. One was the Blues Brothers. Critics panned that movie. Critics also panned uh, Caddyshack when it first came out. And those are two amazingly beloved movies now by, you know, regular, regular people and critic, critics alike. Uh, critics are looking for a little bit too much, and you're not getting that with The Predator. You're just getting, you're getting a fun, fun, bloody, uh, bloody movie. Sean, your thoughts? I think we really covered just about everything. It, it really was just a perfect storm of a movie with the way it came together. And it really came together better than the initial concept. Really, this is a movie where a lot of initial ideas got thrown out the window, and thank God they did. Even, even Stan Winston kind of put his Predator design through a pretty thorough redesign after he got some feedback from... Uh, as I recall correctly, I believe it was James Cameron, uh, who made a couple suggestions, including that when the Predator finally unmasks, that it have the, uh, the mandibular mouth with the big protruding teeth and the scrunched up face. Uh, you've got Arnold pointing out, basically the guy who was going to be the bankable star of the movie, the biggest draw, saying it shouldn't just be me. Uh, there are a lot of stars who probably wouldn't say that, who wouldn't be willing to kind of take that step back a little bit and be willing to really work with an ensemble quite that way. Um, and God in heaven, we, we swapped out the five foot nine and a half inch Dutch kickboxer 
who who complained that the suit was was too was too clumsy to work in. He didn't have very much mo- very much mobility, and he just didn't want to do it. Okay, we'll swap him out for a seven foot two inch guy who's not nearly as athletic, but who really brought the creature to life without being able to really use words or dialogue or anything like that. Kind of about the same way you think of well, Kane Hodder doing with with Jason Voorhees. In, or Chewbacca. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Or, or Peter Mayhew as Chewie, also an excellent example. Um, guys where somebody who really maybe kind of isn't paying attention might write it off as, well, it's just a tall guy they shoved into a suit. I don't see what the big deal is. Well, you don't you're, until you're maybe taking somebody else who's of the same size who doesn't have the same ability as an actual actor and trying to carry off the same thing. I mean, example, if you try to stuff Keel Keel into a Predator suit, it wouldn't be the same effect. And, and it would be noticeable. He, he wouldn't seem quite as threatening, except for the fact that it's a fucking giant. Okay. Um so, for the sake of time, we have a half an hour left for real this time. We have a half an hour left of recording time, and then we have uh, the overrun. Let's get into Predator 2. Predator 2 comes out uh, 1990s, so three years later. Um, I have to wonder what, uh, I, guess, I guess because after the fact, kind of like uh, Austin Powers, you know, after the fact, this thing picked up a lot of steam, and they felt that there was money to make on uh, a second film. So, you know, why not make another one? And this time, they, they really turned the idea of what the Predator does on its head. They said that instead of sending the Predator back to another jungle with another group of people, let's have him go into the city. Let's bring him into the city. It was really funny to me because it's always like, you know, we'll talk about this with Aliens versus Predator, and we actually did talk about this a little bit with the Aliens franchise. Studios just have this thing about wanting to bring, mon- wanting to create mayhem on the screen, where, like, let's take the monster that was from this remote part of the world and continually put it right smack in the middle of Manhattan, you know, <laughs> whatever their reasons are. But uh, Predator 2... No, 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 I understand that this place takes place in L.A., but my point being, oh, it's always okay. like a very concentrated, highly populous city that they just want to see a monster tear to pieces. Ah, gotcha. Um, so, yes, this does Cloverfield. in fact take place in... <laughs> yeah. um, this does in fact take place in Los Angeles, and uh, it's uh, present day, 1997, um, it's a, there's a heat wave going on, and it's uh, set against a Colombian drug cartel who's at war with a Jamaican drug cartel. And I love the fact that they just, that it couldn't just be a Jamaican drug cartel. It was the Jamaican voodoo posse. Because in oh, the yeah, 80s, cool. everything had to have a WWE-like gimmick. Um, and fucking so attracted, magic man. Yes, fucking voodoo magic. <laughs> Want some ganja. Um, well, but yeah, seriously, but, looking, but, looking at it in the face, who wouldn't want to be a member of the Jamaican Voodoo Posse? That sounds awesome. Can you imagine the business cards? That's also the name of my ska band that I haven't started yet. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, if I start a ska band, it's going to be called the Jamaican Voodoo Posse. In any case, um, so attracted by the uh, by the war, go, the, the street war going on in L.A. and the uh, unnaturally intense heat of the hot summer, the predator comes down and he begins hunting. Um, well, let me start off by saying this movie was this movie did not do quite well. I mean, it made over its budget. Um, by about $20 million. But it, this one wasn't the one that was completely panned by critics. Um, I think we could get some initial impressions here. Jason, uh, with, with, with their ideas for putting the Predator in the city and some of the stuff they did with it, completely moving away from Arnold Schwarzenegger and kind of starting anew again with Danny Glover and the not-yet-ready-for-80s primetime all-stars. Jesus Christ, have you seen the cast for this thing? Bill Paxton... Maria Conchita Alonso, Ruben Blade, Gary Busey, and, you know, the headliner of the not-yet-ready-for-primetime-players all-star 80s band himself, Robert Davi. My goodness. You know, the only thing missing from here was Webster. But uh, your, your initial imp- impressions and sort of um, just thoughts on why they went in the direction they went with this movie. Um, now I'm picturing Webster in, uh, in you know, Emmanuel Lewis in, in a Predator costume. <laughs> Sorry, it's your fault. Um, well, uh, you can see it, it, it. I mean, why why they did this is we had one movie, and uh, it, you know we can make a sequel of this because people liked it, made us a little money. Let's let's do it again, but let's just do, do the opposite. I mean, movie 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 franchises do this all the time, it's, you know. So you know, why not stick it in the big city and see see what it does? Um, it wasn't nearly as fun doing that. Uh, I thought showing the, I don't know if you want to get into this now or later, but um, showing the, the, the bonding between, uh, between the Predator and, uh, and, and Danny Glover I thought was a little bit odd. Uh, I mean, it, it um, carries over into Alien versus Predator, the very first one. But uh, I just, this movie to me was a complete train wreck. Okay. Sean. Um, any thoughts, news, research as to why they decided to flip the whole thing on its head and put the Predator in the middle of Los Angeles and do what it would almost amount to be a B-movie, uh, you know, cops and robbers thing with it, with an alien thrown in the middle of it? <laughs> B-movie. Uh, that's, uh, that's one way to put it. The, in my opinion, my humble opinion, much more accurate way that I would go with is that making this particular movie as scripted, following everything that audiences loved about Predator, is about the equivalent to an aroused and lustful woman in bed making sure that every bodily undulation, for every breath, for every moan, is an indicator to the man that she's with that he is running the train down the right track and he is about to come into the station. And her gentleman caller taking all of those perfectly clear as day signs that it is in fact time to stop exactly what he's doing, pull out Donna Sombrero and begin beating the woman upside the head with a yelping chihuahua. Does the Chihuahua have to be yelping? Don't answer that. Move on. The thing is, though, is the fact that, yes, in fact, 20th Century Fox did want a Predator sequel. 
It's just that this one wasn't their first choice. Oh, I'll get to that in a little bit. But the fact is, is there's really not exactly much of, per se, a story here, uh, with the exception of the fact that Arnold did actually read the script because before they got the uh, detached alien mini sniping tongue head that uh, apparently chopped itself loose, grew a skull and an epic head of blonde hair and called itself Gary Busey. Uh, they actually, for that role, wanted to bring back Schwarzenegger to play Dutch. That was their first choice. But the thing is, was Arnold read the script and pretty much told them right off the bat, uh, this is a terrible idea. Not just no, fuck no. This, this will not work. So they went ahead and just ran with it anyway. Because um, <laughs> that's what makes a guy don't know nothing about no movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. He thought it was he thought it was a bad idea. So instead, he said, "Nope, fuck this noise." And probably right after he got done saying that, James uh, Cameron came calling and said, "How would you feel about making another Terminator movie?" No, seriously, that was exactly what exactly what happened. Uh, after he turned this down, he signed on for Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and the rest is, uh, yeah, pretty much movie history. <laughs> oh, um, the one other thing that is worth noting is this movie is so over-the-top 90s violent that it actually initially got an NC-17. Yes, and they had to they had to recut it so that it could uh, get in theaters. Well, yeah, yeah. After after they after they recut it, and uh, to be quite honest with you, I don't think anything is really all that graphically violent, especially not compared with what we saw in Predator. Um, but there's just there's just a lot of protracted and quite frankly, kind of boring shootouts um, that, 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 are, that are so 90s. They're just, ab- they're just absolutely orgasmic in their glory to watch. Um, there, is, uh, there is one particularly grisly gang dismemberment scene, which is where the, the, the imitated like, fucking voodoo magic man comes from. And even as the guy is saying it, you, you can tell that even he's almost saying, Almost saying, even I don't really believe this shit. <laughs> um, all right. So let me. Um, first of all, one of the things that I picked up about this movie was everyone's always yelling. <laughs> Danny Glover is unnecessarily angry for most of this movie, and it's and it was like you know you talk about uh, the first movie being full of uh, of action hero tropes. This one is worse. Hang on, loose cannon, ninety cop, drink. Yeah, I was going to say this is even worse. <laughs> this is this is so full, of, chock full of not uh, of nonsensical '90s, you know, loose cannon cop tropes that, like, you know, like you watch, you're just sort of thrown in the middle of this uh, of this movie, and you meet this character who, for no good reason, I mean, his whole entrance into the very first scene. Let me let me set this up. Okay, so the whole movie begins with with what looks to be a a war 
between the cops and uh, the Colombian uh, cartel. And they've all got automatic weapons. And there's Morton Downey Jr., yet another staple. <laughs> Who wasn't waiting for Roddy Piper to come running onto the screen and shoot him with a, uh, with a fire extinguisher? Eh? Morton Downey Jr., Roddy Piper? Anyway. Um, so you've got, you've got Morton, you've got Morton Downey Jr., you know, who's playing like the, you know, the uh, shitty um, tabloid wait, wait, journalist. Wait, 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 wait. That was actually Morton Downey Jr. Yeah. I thought that was who that was. I, I, I'm sorry, that was the one part of the credits that I didn't really bother looking up. I, I meant to because I went, God damn, he looks, yeah, he looks familiar. And actually, my first thought was. He looks kind of like an emaciated Huey Lewis. Um, I used to watch the Morton Downey Jr. show when they were, you know, when that was on. Um, oh, I did TV. absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. how great was that show? It was an amazing it. show. He smoked the whole time. It was fantastic. <laughs> not only that, not only that, but like I remember. He always got like very animated with his cigar, and he and he always made you believe that he was going to get to the bottom of something by the end of that show, and they never quite got there. And it was a lot like Jerry Springer in that in that respect. He was just like, "We after this commercial, we're going to get down to business, and now we're going to do the thing, and you don't understand because I've got a cigar, you know." And then you would finally get to the end of the show, and then he would get like, you know, and then he would calm down, and you're like, "Okay, well, we've learned a lot here, and that's the Morton Downey Jr. show," and you're like. Wait, what? What happened to the business? We never got to it. You know, he yeah. took me for a ride when I was a kid. But yeah, so Martin, <laughs> Martin Downey Jr. Big back then. Um, so he's in the movie, and he's covering this thing, and he's making fun of the cops and everything. And it was just, it's just, and then, and then, so you've got cops being killed. You've got automatic weapons. Things are blowing up in the middle of Los Angeles, and in comes Danny Glover, who just drives straight, just starts running people over smashes his car in there, jumps out. And, and here's what I never understood about that scene. He showed up with a gun. He showed up with, you know, with like a 9mm, I think it was. You know, I'm sure Winfrey will now tell me which gun it really was. But essentially, it you was know, the Uzi he's got 9mm. A, <laughs> he's got a handgun in his hand. It's not like he showed up with a bazooka or you know, in a robe with a lightsaber, and now, now things were going to get interesting. He just, it's like the cops at this point were completely outgunned, as Morton Downey Jr. tells us. Uh, they're outgunned, they're being killed left and right, and then Danny Glover shows up with a gun and then says, well, don't keep me in suspense, tell me what's going on. And suddenly with his leadership, they are able to, they, they are able to uh, somehow overcome the Colombian drug lords and push them into a building where they are then massacred by the Predator. But I was like, really? You, you needed, Danny Glover needed to show up for this? It was, it was just like a... One of these really odd hero introductions. We we need we really needed Murtaugh for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and even and even back then he was getting too old for this shit. Now listen. Um, so the, the predator just massacres the uh, Colombian the, the Colombians, and then there's this whole thing about uh, you know Peter Keys played by Danny Glover. You know he's out of control. He don't listen to nobody and. Don't you understand? And then they introduce Gary Busey as the quote unquote uh, DEA, and you know, like, and don't mess with the DEA. They're in charge of everything, and Danny Glover won't listen to nobody. So, and then, and then uh, you, you, the Jamaican voodoo posse goes and takes down the head Colombian drug lord, and the predator shows up. Then, hang on, I, I got to read this now. The gun he makes 
his charge with is a much higher caliber than the standard issue sidearm, though it was by and large supposed to be a realistic, futuristic type of weapon. Thank you, Guns McGee. Um, no, I always appreciate Rob. I always appreciate Rob's uh, participation in the show via internet. In any case, so uh, the Jamaican voodoo posse go. They go to you know kill the the head Colombian drug lord, and the predator shows up there, murders everybody. <laughs> At this point, it is worth pointing out that as we start the movie off, this is another area where it really differs from Predator. In, the, in Predator, pretty much right off the bat, the Predator is the big bad of the whole thing. It is the opposition. So far in this movie, for those of you out there who are up on your wrestling comparisons, thus far, the LAPD or John Cena... The two rival gangs combined are The Rock, and The Predator has been downgraded to being The Miz. Well, actually, let, let me stop there, because, I mean, I, I could go through the rest of the plot, but why bother? The, the, it's really simple. The DEA is really the federal, is like an Area 51 type of agency uh, that is out to capture The Predator, because this is what the federal government always does in every movie. It always wants to capture the alien to use it in some way. Um, so that's, what, that's why they're really there. They know it's the alien. They want to capture it, and that's why they're in getting involved. And Danny Glover, all he wants to do is stop the violence. And the Predator is there to just murder people. Jason, this runs counter not just you know, the fact that they took it from the jungle to the street, but as I said the, at the bottom part of, the, of our discussion about Predator, we talked about you know, likable characters being killed one by one and you feeling sad about it. They don't introduce a single likable character in this movie. Maybe Danny Glover... No, I want everybody to stands out. Yeah, this is one well, of those I, things... I, I, wanted him, I wanted the him predator to kill everyone as well. No, exactly. Well, yeah, I wanted Danny Glover gone too. And I like oh, Danny yeah. Glover. I, but I didn't like him in this movie. Well, well, he's always yelling, and his captain has a point. He's out of control, and he won't listen to anyone. And I don't know if he's really doing anything of value throughout these investigations. And then you have Bill Paxton running around in a terrible suit. You know, it, it, his one-liners and aliens, much better. But, uh, you know, his, frankly, his one-liners and weird science were much better. It was just like, you know... Well, he was a pile of that. shit. He had to have great one-liners. This is true. Who, who, Paxton? <laughs> died. Paxton, he, was, he was, got turned into a pile of shit. That could talk. I, I can't remember his name, so I just want to start from now, from henceforth. Can we just call him Stanley Storytime? Because every time he pops up on the screen, it's to tell another ram- another rambling story about the onion he wore on his belt because it was the style of time. It, it's just it's just one like supposed to be, I guess, vaguely impressive sounding story after another, and somehow it's actually far far less entertaining than Hudson was in Aliens. And my God, this came out four years after that movie. Bill Paxton, how do you actually look younger? Well, not only that, he looks... Well, I think he made a deal with the devil where he would continue to look younger, but his acting ability would get worse. Because I feel like he actually had a character in Aliens, whereas this one, he's just, he's just a vending machine with one-liners. You plunk your quarter in, out comes a retarded one-liner that had no business in the movie. And his delivery of said one-liners... I mean, Jason, back me up on this. His delivery of them, it was like, you ever see a kid try out for a play who's just terrible? 
You know, oh, it's, God, yeah. The, yeah, it's like, yeah, me. You know, or you're, <laughs> or you're watching a play, and the, and the kids on stage aren't really acting so much as they're just reciting dialogue, and the di- and, and their performance has no. It, it's just it doesn't fit in the confines of the play itself. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm picturing actually Bill Paxton in Terminator. Okay, because he's a punk. <laughs> All right, he's a punk leader of this group. You know, one of the people from the group was, uh, I think, a vampire on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But anyway, yeah, and he's like, hey, nice night for a walk, eh? Hey, wash day tomorrow, right? Hey, fuck you, asshole. Yeah, well, yeah, those are great delivered lines by a badass. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think Bill Paxton got ahead in Hollywood by blowing directors, and none of them ever wanted to correct him for it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, he, like he blew people to get parts. And then he's in the movie, and he's fucking terrible, and everything but Alien. But it's like nobody wants to tell him, nobody wants to really direct him because he only got the part because he blew the director. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of the deal. If you tell me what to do, I'm not going to blow you anymore. Maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Bill Paxton, total diva on the set. Don't you direct which, me. Which completely, com- which completely, you know, his big serious role was was in Twister, which really puts the whole, you know, blowing to get to the movie, uh, you know, to get to get a part in a movie and, into perspective. I'm now being bombarded with people uh, texting me going, shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone at home, for playing the home game. All right. Um, I don't know if, I mean... We, we, I don't know how much more we need to discuss. This isn't a tremendously deep movie. Um, I think one of the things that I, that I thought about was it, when you do a sequel, are you just going to rehash the same things? You know, is it a more dinosaur thing, or are you going to take the opportunity to take your property a little bit further along? Do something with it that sort of moves the known quantities about the property to another level. And while Which is the what they did. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I'm the, the, not, 90% of the movie is shit unless you just, like, you know, g- g- you know, over-the-top action. But the last 10 minutes of it actually take the movie. It's, a, it's like if you could just forget about the first 90 minutes of it, that last 10 minutes is actually, like, the best part of the movie. Go ahead, Jason. Well, no, yeah, yeah, that's what, exactly what I was going get, to uh, get to to answer that. It's because it shows the Predators for something more than just you know, these, these killing machines, we're, we're just here to hunt. Uh, there's a method to what they're doing. There uh, is a Klingon-esque sort of, uh, you know, honor system with, with, the, with the predators. And, and Danny Glover shows that he's you know, just as badass as one of them. So, you know, they, they honor him for it. He, he killed one of them. They give him, you know, two presents, one being that uh, musket pistol from 17-whatever, um, and the other being you know, the fact that he can live. So it, it it's, yeah, most of the movie is, is complete crap. But, uh, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, what, what you were saying, yeah, the last, last 10 minutes adds something to, to the entire, you know, entire Predator franchise that these, these beings are something more than just, uh, just the hunters and killers. Well, that's the thing. What differentiates them from aliens and I think then sets them up um, to be the uh... – almost the good guys in the Aliens vs. Predators films, is that, as Sean put it uh, two weeks ago, 
they're not simply the Murder Beast 3000. They're, they're just an alien race. This is what they do. And, you know, yes, the one guy was down there to hunt. You beat him. You win. Have a good day. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a trophy. And it, it gave the character um, some depth. It gave, it, gave the, it gave the property an opportunity at further life because now you can do so much more with this because it's not simply just, you know, Freddy slashing at people in, in, a, in a basement somewhere in a boiler room or, you know, a guy running at you with a chainsaw. There's a lot more to be had here with the right imagination and the resources. Sean, last words on Predator 2, and then we're going to move on to Predators. Well, you know what? Allow me to make this the transition into Predators. Um, because, unfortunately, as I said, there's a middle of the story that we had to kind of skip because, actually, this is sort of the middle of that story. It jumps around a little bit. We've got a whole kind of, kind of Quentin Tarantino thing going on here with our order. Because, actually, in a way, this was their second option to do a sequel. Uh Believe it or not, right around the same time, somebody else had also written a script for a Predator sequel in which you had a diverse cadre of very dangerous human beings who were transported and dropped together in the jungle homeworld of the Predators to be hunted essentially as, as sport as practice, but also to be thrust into the middle of a civil war between two predator subspecies. That script was written by Robert fucking Rodriguez during the making of the movie that really launched him as a big, bankable, to-be-taken-seriously director. Desperado. Fox passed on it. They declared that it would be too expensive to make. Years later, they come calling again to, of course, Robert, who now has his own studio, Troublemaker Studios, which, of course, makes all of his movies from the Mexico trilogy right up through Machete and Spy Kids and the Sin City movies and Grindhouse and so on and so forth. And basically, they tell him, we want to make your script. We, we want to go ahead and make this version of the movie. So he gets a producer credit, and they go ahead, and they make it. And it turns out that it's a movie that because of the structure of it and the fact that obviously Predator hadn't been written when he wrote it, is able to completely ignore completely ignore everything that happened in the previous movie. They're able to pay no mind whatsoever to Danny Glover and Bill Paxton and Gary Busey and all of that shit. Pretty much the only okay. Predator content. Let me put you on really- pause for one second. Hang on, let me put you on pause for one second. We are down to the final minute of the live stream. I'm assuming yeah. we're going to go into the overrun uh, since I changed it mid-show. But uh, I just want to thank people for listening live if you did so. Um, if you want to hear us continue to talk about Predators and uh, what we're going to be doing in two weeks and all that good stuff, uh, come back in about a half an hour, 45 minutes. By then, it should be archived and ready for your listening. Once again, thanks for joining us on the live portion of the show. Sorry about all the earlier technical glitches. Sean, you may resume.
Okay. Thank you very much. Um, so, in fact, here, I, I, I want to see if I can find the direct quote here on the page as I... But while you're looking, I will just say that I, they did with Predator 2 exactly what I've been trying to do until you guys wanted to talk about it, which is completely ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, here we go. Here's the quote. Uh, quoting Rodriguez directly, and again, forgive me, I'm going to briefly quote directly from the Wikipedia entry. Produced by Rodriguez and written by Alex Litvak and Michael Finch, in 1984, Rodriguez wrote an early script for the film for 20th Century Fox when he was working on Desperado. Rodriguez presented the script to the studio, but was denied when he realized the budget would be too long. Years later, the studio decided to go with the script. Quote, it's the story from that script I had written way back then. They had hired me to write a Predator story while I was waiting to do Desperado back in 1995. It was crazy, this thing I came up with. So then fast forward to now, and like six months ago, they found the script and called me up. Hey, we want to redo this franchise, and we found your old script. This is where we should have gone with the series. We want to move forward. And that's what we're doing. So in other words, you could have done this in 1991 and spared us all this. <laughs> you could have spared us the previous 30, 45 minutes, some minutes of this show... Just had you trusted somebody whose entire reputation in Hollywood has been predicated on making movies that, all at once, are made on a small budget, are made frugally, creatively, and entertainingly, come in on time, have few production difficulties, and most importantly, almost to a movie, I'll even throw the Spy Kids movies in there, they make fucking bank. Had you given him the kind of money way back then that well, actually, you know, I, I may have this a little bit back a little bit backwards actually because come to think of it, let's see, Predator Predator 2 came out in 1991. I think I might have misunderstood something here. Um, it seems like maybe he actually means that this would have been a third entry in the series. If I'm understanding let, let me see when Predator 2 came out. Hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, here, here's the, here is the timeline. 87 is Predator. 1990, yeah. Predator 2. Oh, Aliens I, I, versus Predator 2004. Requiem is 2007. Predators is 2010. Okay, so I, I kind of take back what I... I take back somewhat what I said. I misunderstood something, and I apologize because... I kind of misunderstood the course of the year there, and I should have. I mean, that's like a four- or five-year gap. Um, but to be clear here, years after this movie came out, you had a chance to go and really set things right pretty much immediately. And you passed it up because you would not give the ball to one of Hollywood's now known as most cost-effective filmmakers, who pretty much does everything DIY, does everything very practically. So it even would have been in the spirit of John McTernan's original movie. And you passed this up. You fuckers passed this up. Well, just think, if they would have done this, if they would have done the movie at that point, we would have never seen Topher Grace playing the complete asshole douchebag role he was meant to play. My God, okay, 
I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way now since you brought it yeah. up so I have to backtrack to it. Folks, every now and then, Stevie Wonder Squirrel gets his paws off of his scrotum and manages to find an actual nut. Those of you who remember the Spider-Man 3 podcast know that there are few actors that I detest in the world more than Topher Grace. You'll also remember that I defended Spider-Man 3 like a good lawyer. Quiet, you. <laughs> Go ahead. Now, tell Jason, that, wait, no, tell Jason that, how I defended Spider-Man 3. Go ahead. Shut up, Sherman. <laughs> anyway, hey, you know what? That's, that's closer to Mr. Peabody than any of you are getting in that upcoming animated movie. Um, I hate Topher Grace because every time he acts in almost anything, he is constantly, constantly trying entirely too fucking hard. Uh, he's, and it's not like he's trying too hard to act. He's trying too hard to be likable, to be cool, almost like he's trying too hard to pull off the George Clooney thing. However, this is one time, given that he is playing a doctor who is secretly a serial killer and he's trying to maintain his cover amongst all these people, this is one now, time that him trying too hard to fit in actually somehow miraculously fucking works. It's now, in this time, movie, does Topher Grace be, at the end of it become a lumberjack? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, I'm but, sorry. You know, I, I, I can't help it sometimes. And every now and then... An actor comes along that any time you see him try to stray outside their natural range, like, God, every time you watch Michelle Rodriguez try to play anything except for a woman that you are convinced probably has got, actually got about six inches secretly hanging between her legs, she just constantly looks like a, uh, like a labradoodle that just had somebody try to explain algebra to it. Just confused and frustrated and bored. Um, I like to say that um, Muhammad Ali might be the one and only role that Will Smith was actually just pretty much born to play because it was like he barely had to try to get into character for it. And in this case, this is the one time that for as grating as that little scrotal hair actually has been in everything from that 70s show onward, this is one time where his natural personality is miraculously, God help me, actually pretty fucking effective. Because he's surrounded at the time by Adrian Brody, who plays Royce, who I believe is a U.S. Marine. Um, OGBMF demigod Danny Trejo, who plays Mexican drug cartel enforcer Cuchillo. Um, Nikolai, the Spetsnaz soldier played by former MMA fighter Oleg Taktarov, um, Israeli Defense Forces sniper Isabel, um, Officer Mombasa played by Prince Hubert Shabarekiba Ali. Um, I am not even going to try to pronounce that, folks. You're welcome to argue about that amongst yourselves. <laughs> Uh, Death Row Inmate Stands, played by Walter Goggins, and Yakuza Enforcer Hanzo. Really? You name the Japanese guy Hanzo? Okay, Robert, you're a samurai fan, so points for you for that one. Sonny Chiba is proud. 
uh, played by Luis Ogawa Chang Chin. I, I think I got that one. Oh, and uh, by the way, the actress playing the Israeli is um, Alice Braga, who in my eyes would probably still be, be a more convincing Wonder Woman than Gal Gadot. Yeah, I would agree. So, there you have it. There's the plot rundown on Predators. And God, was it better than it had every right in every frozen hell being. Because I hate remakes, especially of beloved classics like this one. Okay, so let's get into Predators. Um, The plot of this thing is that uh, a bunch, various killers, various hunters, predators in their own right, have been gathered up from around the earth and brought onto what they will realize after a time is a predator game preserve. They are dropped in there. They are made to fight off uh, alien beasts in order to then uh, be flushed out and stalked by the predators who are there to hunt them. Um, and in the middle of all this, there's bigger predators fighting littler predators um, and uh, Lawrence Fishburne apparently has managed to survive and has gone crazy <laughs> uh, while he's been there. Um, Jason, did you like how they sort of switched things up? They took the humans off the, off the earth and threw them into, you know, they took us back to the jungle, but this time they made it an alien jungle. And so you got to see some different things and do some different things with it. Uh, did you like the way that they uh, turned the fran- rebooted the franchise and turned it on its head using these particular methods? Yes, a- a- absolutely. I mean, how else could they could they have done this? Uh, th- this was was brilliant by taking um, killers from. I mean, even the you know really sorry as Topher Grace, who was a serial killer, taking him, taking all these people off of Earth and placing them in a game preserve where they could be hunted by the predators. That was brilliant. That's something the, uh, uh, you know, you know, European stock probably did with, uh, with natives back, you know, 200 years ago. I think it's probably, yeah, there's, there's probably some historical record for things like that. Anyway, um, no, I thought this was, uh, was a great premise for the movie. Um, uh, I do need to say before I move on with the movie that I'm embarrassed for Sean that he knew what a Labradoodle was. Uh, I like the fact that they had a lot of different wait, types wait, of wait, killers. Wait, wait. Hey, hang on, hang on. You're embarrassed for me that I what? Uh, knew, admitted you knew what a Labradoodle was. Oh, oh. Well, I mean, you know what? I, I spent 10 years with a woman who was a little bit of a dog obsessive, and also it's a breed that was referenced on a particularly awesome episode of Scrubs by Dr. Cox. And uh, the, all of you, of course, know by now that John C. McGinley is pretty much my spirit animal. So, Okay, there are two types of dogs, Labradors and Collies. That's it, period. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I thought this was, uh, was was a great way to take uh, to take the movie franchise, uh, especially I mean dumping him in, in, in a jungle again. It worked before, and it wasn't just the jungle; it was a foreign jungle. It was an alien jungle. They had to get used to that, and the fact that they were getting hunted not just by the predator, but by other creatures as well that the predator was using. So yeah, there were a lot of a lot of different things to like about this, and Lawrence Fishburne being batshit crazy was was pretty fun. Oh, God, Fishburne. I wish he'd been in more of this movie. 
They, they, they did not utilize him enough. I actually thought the, the idea of him, you know, who, who has, you know, survived, uh, you know, 10 seasons and has captured Predator armor and all of that, I wish they had used him more and had done more of that. You know, you know maybe, you know, he's, like, he's captured other armor and he gives it to them and, you know, so things like that. It would have been fun to see the humans turn the Predator armor on the Predators themselves, that sort of thing. Maybe in another movie they can do that. Well, let's take um, this back to, to our previous conversation. He's a grown-up male newt. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Who I, who I didn't want to punch in the face. Yes. <laughs> oh, leave the child alone. Um, he, he is black. This is the most... This is, <laughs> This is a mostly, other than maybe Topher Grace, um, you know, Danny Trejo's in everything. Um, Lawrence, Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne's not in a tremendous amount of this movie. You've got a lot of uh, TV or, or lesser-known actors here. Um, does that work for you, Jason, you know, and as far as having not necessarily, you know, a A-list group of actors heading this thing up? Oh, I don't need big names. I just want... I just want a good story. I want it to look good, and I want people who can act. Uh, a movie that I think is just a fantastic movie. I knew one actor in it when I saw it. Uh, it's called The Man from Earth. Have you ever heard of, heard of that movie? I have not. No. No, it's it's a movie that came out I think maybe two thousand and seven, um, and it takes place uh, in a house. Period. I think people go out for one scene in the driveway, and that's that's it. And it's all talking, and it's people. The only person in there I recognized was William Cat. Um, so, watch the movie. It's a, it's 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 a it's a really really good movie. It's uh, a college professor is re- retiring, and he looks really young, and it turns out that he's immortal. And there's lots of explaining. Anyway, the point is, I didn't know any of these actors, but you know what? They did a fine job. So uh, I don't care if there are any famous actors in a movie. I just care if the movie's written well, if it's shot well, if it's directed well, if it's just a good movie. My, I like, my only, I like my, my only slight complaint would be the Adrian Brody casting to me is a little bit out of left field. Um, he's, and I won't say he's necessarily Bad. Again, much like the entire movie, I was really down on this when I first when I first heard they were making it. Um, but he was actually better than I expected him to be. But still, when I think of somebody who's kind of sort of being thrust not into exactly the Arnold role or not exactly the Danny Glover role, not the first guy I would exactly think of as just kind of as just kind of fitting that kind of mold. And but you know what? It's been since eighteen or nineteen eighty nine that I've decided that you know fuck that. Whenever whenever Tim Burton cast Michael Keaton as Batman, I thought that that was horrible. You know, well, it didn't end up so bad. So ever since then, I've given people some slack. Adrian Brody, I didn't think did a bad job. No, he was he was okay. It was it was that. But obviously, you know, I'm not going to be so unfair as to say that anybody taking on uh, taking on any entry in this franchise is ever ever going to fill Arnold's shoes. Um, 
Danny Glover actually did better than he really should have. Uh, well, here's what I want to ask you about Adrian. Hang on one second. I want to ask Sean about Adrian Broner since he's since he started to go in that direction. Um, you know, you're sort of taking his ability to to, to lead this movie into question. I would t- I would like to talk to you about his performance for a moment, and that is now Jason said he did just fine. You know, here's the thing. He has a hero's arc. You know, he's he's a loner. He's sort of an unwilling leader of this troop of misfits, that sort of thing. And his only concern is getting off the goddamn planet and going home. And then, you know, in sort of a Han Solo uh, at the end of Star Wars moment, you know, he realizes he's being a heel, and he ends up going back, and he soon discovers that uh, Alice Brogger's character is in mortal peril from, you know, that 70s guy. So, um yeah, I feel like okay. So they gave him the hero's arc. He is not, not redeemed, but he uh, you know he finds a greater purpose in what he's doing, and you know, and he becomes a hero. The problem is the story with him getting there. I just felt was very one note. I mean, I, I don't compl- you know. I, look, if you turn my brain off, I can I enjoy Predators just fine. But for the purposes of a film discussion, I just felt it's kind of like Danny Glover. Why are you yelling this entire movie? And he might not have been yelling, but he was just a jerk. You know, it was like, okay, not every soldier, not every mercenary is a, maybe I'm wrong about this, but is just a complete asshole. And, and yet he was. Yes, some of the characters in this movie are, are horrible people, and they were portrayed as such, and I'm fine with that. Walton Goggins didn't have to be Santa Claus. I'm fine with this. But I was just like, you know, why is your hero such a complete asshole? Your thoughts, sir. Are you asking me or are you asking Jason? I am asking you, sir, since you started with the Adrian Broner conversation. Oh, oh. No, you you pretty much you pretty much nailed it. And you know uh, God love him, he uh, he tries, but it just it misses that, that investment that we kinda get in in Predator, and again, I, I kind of ignore Predator too because God knows this movie does. So why should I pay any attention to it? Um, and it's not like Predator Two did anything right in the first place anyway. So, first movie, we got this time with these characters to understand them a little bit and kind of make up our minds about them one way or another. How we uh, how we felt. Most of them would pass the Plinkus test, if well. Um, if you thought about it long enough. You could take them and you could and you could kind of sum them up in one word. Um, in this movie, that's that's really kind of hard to do because you know Topher obviously played his character well because it's the same thing he tries to do in, in every movie. He's basically Eddie fucking Brock. Um, it's just it just so happens that in this case, huh? Happens to work. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, enough of an actor that from Kiwi's Playhouse right up to now, you give him a role and he will dive headlong right square into it. So, he was a great it, Cowboy Curtis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Cowboy Curtis. Um, uh, Adrian Brody, though, I mean, he's kind of the only one that really is given much to do character-wise, and it just still comes across feeling like you said. It feels flat. It feels one note. It doesn't feel like he really advances in any direction. 
from the beginning of the movie to the end of it. There's never quite that moment I felt like, quite like with Arnold in the chopper at the end of Predator, where he's sitting there just with that thousand-yard stare, just looking positively exhausted because he's trying to compute everything he's just been through over the last several days. I never felt like he got that with Adrian. Okay, who would you who would you rather have, Adrian Brody or uh, the uh, Mark Wahlberg? Oh God, I I still think Brody over Wahlberg. It, yeah, it, absolutely. That's, that's the point. I don't, really don't think Adrian Brody did such a bad job. I mean, Brody's a decent actor. I thought he brought something. I thought he brought something to the role, and uh, yeah, he bulked up for it. He looked pretty good. He looked pretty pretty badass for Adrian Brody. It's certainly not well. Yeah, and that's the other thing I will give him. Is that was my other concern? Is he? If you remember him from, uh, oh God, uh, the pianist, the village, the what? The village. No, I was no, I was thinking the about the one, the one that he won the Oscar for. The pianist. Yes, the pianist. Yes. Um, if you think about it from that. He's a pretty, he's a pretty wispy, non-threatening-looking guy. I gotta hand it to him for this movie. He really, he really went all out and really kind of at least packed on the body to look like to look like somebody who knew how to handle himself. I'll hand him that much. Um, and again, it's it's not so bad that I can really complains about it. You know, it's not like he's Bill Paxton or anything. It's just that, I don't know, it just, again, it, it felt somewhat flat at the time. At the time. Okay, um, well, this isn't also the, the first time that he'd played an action hero. Uh, he played Jack Driscoll in uh, the 2005 King Kong. Uh, you know what, and you're right. I'd actually forgotten about he, that. That's, that's yeah, he I did think. a decent, decent job in that movie. That's, he was believable in that. That's true. I mean, but still, even then, even though it's it's maybe not the best action performance I've ever seen, it still works. And and really, I chalk that up to the fact that everybody in the movie is able to, at the very least do what's asked of them. They're, they're able to come through and do that, and which is good because for everybody else, it's a bare minimum. Danny Trejo does what Danny Trejo is always asked to do. Show up, scowl, grunt. That's throw a, a knife. Yeah, and, he, must, and he must throw a knife. Yes. No, throw a machete. And yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get... Well, the, the Adrian Brody thing. Let's get let's 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 go go back to that just for a second. Is they weren't gonna have Ar- an Arnold Schwarzenegger character in this movie? No, because that's been done in a Predator movie already. Yep. They were looking for an action hero that was not Arnold Schwarzenegger, yep. and that's what I I had. That's why I had no problem with Adrian Brody. I thought he did. I I, I thought he did well. Bringing hang, hang on, I want to ask. I want to add something important to that. The fact that he's a, a thinner, lighter, non-Schwarzenegger-looking character, it's what sets up the whole ending of the movie. It was one of those deals where finally the hero is doing what a man of his size and shape and caliber would do in that situation. 
You know, he set up he set up a thing where the predator was partially blind, and then he kept using his speed to outwit. A, you know, it was a classic little man versus the big man wrestling match. You know, the little man uses his speed and agility, you know, to take out the legs and you know to hit and run um, because you know trying to get the big man off of his feet. This was literally Rey Mysterio Jr. versus the Big Show, and okay, it was great. You know, and you couldn't do that with another. You really couldn't do that with like an Arnold Schwarzenegger character. You know what? I will. Uh, I will actually concede, and I will admit I hadn't really thought of it that way from quite that angle. But you know what? You are right. That that is pretty well choreographed, and I got to chalk that up kind of in equal parts both to uh, Adrian. And uh, obviously something else that Robert is known for, and that is the fantastic way that he always designs his action sequences. Um, so all things considered, yeah, uh, you know what? I think it works pretty. It works pretty well. Um, you maybe don't have quite as interesting uh, a cannon fodder as you had in the first movie, but still, the people who are there are at least kind of cool to watch for the time. For the time when they're there, I mean, I mean, let's say Oleg Taktarov, he's basically a Russian Danny Trejo. Yeah, but but look at you said the firepower. They're two completely different squads of people, armed yep. completely differently. So you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna have a, a different. I mean, before it was a bunch of you know the, the military personnel, you know, armed to the freaking teeth, and these guys are just given you know whatever weapons that uh, you know whatever they had weapons on them at the them. time. You know, yeah. so you have the one guy who shows up with a gun. Walton Goggins just has, a, like, a small knife. Topher Grace has a, you know, has a, has a Swiss Army knife. Um, I want to see a sequel to this movie. Same concept. They can do everything the same. Only one of the guys they drop on the planet is one of the, is one of the, um, um, damn it, that would have been funny if I could have remembered what they were called. Uh, Mexican musician. Name of a Jamaican voodoo, the Jamaican voodoo squad or whatever. Close. Yes. I want to see one of the mariachis from Desperado land on the planet with his guitar case. And they all just stand and look at him like, whoa, what's in the guitar case? <laughs> My guitar. The predator shows up. He launches a rocket. That's no fucking guitar, man. This there. Is, you, have your, you have your trailer now. This is the greatest fan film that I can't believe has never been made. I'm telling you, you, you need. I would actually love to see, like, um, I guess whoever, what studio did this? Was this 20th Century Fox? Yes. Okay. I would love to see 20th Century Fox actually take a variety of their action hero properties and drop them onto a Predator world, including the Mariachi. That'd be hilarious. You know what? You know what? Why not? It's not like they didn't take Cabin in the they didn't take a bunch of horror tropes and drop them into a cabin in the woods to basically make basically make a big dissection film like that. It'd be awesome, and I want to see that. And I want to see that line. Hey, you, what's in that guitar case? My guitar. <laughs> and then he launches a missile. It'd be great. Yep. You actually that would be fantastic. You know what? And I wouldn't. You know, I have no idea what what movie studio put this movie out. But who wouldn't want to see Snake Plissken fight a predator? Yeah. Now we're talking. Who wouldn't right. want to um, who would want who would want to see the Fantastic Four and the X Men fight predators and aliens? Oh, just one of them. Well actually, yeah you go. Get the Mediachi in there, get, get the thing. 
get um, please stop dropping the Wolverine into every movie. Let's get a different X Men in there. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, well, screw the Let's throw in Tarzan. Let's throw in Tarzan. All right, I yeah. want to see him fight a predator. I want, the the predator. I want to see the Predators get the DeLorean and pick up different humans through time and drop them onto the planet. And maybe Cthulhu for just, you know, some, you know, mystic uh, ancient devil worship. That might be a fun movie, actually, if the Predators actually <laughs> drop different, like, you know, like Alexander the Great, um, you know... Abraham Lincoln or some shit. You know, no, 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 everyone... no, no. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt is yeah. the most badass president we ever had. Yeah, let's put them together. There you go. There, there so, we go. You know, like a Genghis Khan and drop them all onto the Predator planet just to, you know, just for shits and giggles. 20th Century Fox, you have, you know, you're welcome. All right. Uh, now that now that we've done the part of Long Road to Rowan where I fantasy book for uh, movie studios. Jason, anything more on the Predators? Uh, the, the, the series as a whole, this particular movie. If you want me to sing fifty songs now, is your chance to request one. Go ahead. Yeah, I absolutely. Uh, I really like the Predator franchise. Uh, there's a lot that still can be done about it. The uh, Alien versus Predator, I, I, I kind of liked. Um, I, I would like to see. Uh, this, this is a movie I'd like to see. Is uh, uh, maybe uh, a, a nice, you know, colony on on Mars or some distant planet, and then we're the, you know all nice and happy, and then maybe the predator fucks with them. <laughs> that could be yeah. cool. We will talk. We will be talking about aliens versus predator in two weeks, and that is your last date with us. Uh, we've been, but we've enjoyed having you up to this point, Sean. Absolutely. Your last word on the predators. Your last word on the predator series, the predators movie. Uh, if you'd like to, if you'd like me to sing some fifty songs, now's your chance to request one. You know what? Allow me to posit this. Um, in two weeks, like, we're going. Would to... you like me to wake? Hang on. Would you like me to wake up my daughter and she can sing the theme song to Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse? <laughs> no, I won't put you through that because then you're the one that's going to have to put her back to bed. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Hey, you um, know, if you want it, I can yeah. make mine up, and she can sing the entire set of Frozen. I, I tell you, isn't that a great movie? And, and I tell you, my, my kid is three, but she but she still sings those songs. Does, does your kid wake yeah. you up and ask you to want to build a snowman? No, but she sings that all the fucking time. Oh, it's it, a great it's a song. Movie. I, you know what? It's a great it's a great song the first ten times. <laughs> the next four hundred. It's like it's like you know, it's like listening to to to, to um, you know what the what the hell was that was that song? Um, uh, old time rock and roll. That was great the first ten times I heard it. The next four thousand wore on me a little bit. Let me say this, and then I promise I'll give Sean back so we can get back on topic. Uh, the microphone, but I'll tell you what, I'll be in the car, I'll be with my wife and my kid, and I'll be listening to the Frozen soundtrack because that's all we listen to these days. And whenever, you know, Anna, as a little girl, says to Elsa, do you want to build a snowman? And Elsa says, go away, Anna. And she goes, okay, bye. Breaks my heart. Every single, all 4,000 times I've heard it, my heart breaks over and over and over again. Nothing's sad in my house. All I hear hear over and over again is, little baby unicorns. (laughs) Okay. All right, Sean, you have a choice. You can either build a snowman or you can continue your point. Go ahead. 
Oh, we remember that the single childless 31-year-old is here. <laughs> Sean, just imagine the uh, just imagine the predator building a snowman. <laughs> oh, okay, I will go you one better. I will see your predator building a snowman, and I will raise you, imagining that instead of the song from Frozen, he is singing "Let's Build a Snowman" from Cannibal the Musical. All right, this 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 podcast has taken a taken a taken a turn into. Territory I don't I'm not comfortable with. Your point, sir. Predators, go. <laughs> My point is is that the funny thing is is that in two weeks we're going to be talking about two movies that actually fucked up the very concept this movie got right. And that is the idea of humans being caught in the middle of a civil war between two species. In this case, it's not xenomorph versus predators. In this case, it's species of predators. But look how well it was executed. Look how well it was developed throughout the movie. And then look how much this thing fell stumbling backwards flat onto its ass when you put the movie in the hands of the guy from the Resident Evil franchise. Mark Roberts mentioned to you in a comment. Sean Comer, see above. What am I supposed... <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was kismet. I'll, I'll, watch it a- I'll watch it after we're off the air. Um, but this movie... Wait did, you, did you, wait, did you see the thing about Cannibal the Musical? Did I see it? Oh, no, this is a cannibal thing. I just saw these people want to build a snowman thing. Hang on. No, no. Uh, about three comments down, the girl goes, have you ever watched Cannibal the Musical? And then, and then, Jason, and then Jason said, uh, um, I can't say I have. But I, I can't say I have. Then you saying cannibal? I'm a little taken. It's amazing that went up around the same time that we were having this discussion. That was my only point. Hey, this is great radio. Go on. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Um, so, uh, taking, taking Aliens versus Predators is actually not a bad concept, much like taking Freddy versus Jason or even Ash versus Freddy versus Jason. It's a good idea for a square-off crossover. However, it was handled, unfortunately, ineptly by a guy that actually, after making two movies that I actually kind of like, has proven himself repeatedly to be positively inept as a storyteller. And that's Paul W.S. Anderson, the man who was in charge of both Aliens vs. Predators, Alien vs. Predator, and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Requiem was slightly better than the first one. Very, very slightly. However, I can't help but think that maybe if they had taken this exact same concept and just maybe, and keep in mind, this was years before Predators, maybe even thought of Robert Rodriguez first and said, here, take a stab at this. Show us what you can do. Maybe we might have actually gotten something that would have been worthy of the hype. Unfortunately, we didn't, 
And that's why, while I'm not going to be cursing up a storm, I'm going to be spending a lot of next show just saying, it could have been so much better. Okay. Folks, that is our, uh, that is the conclusion of our Long Road to Ruin Predators discussion. Hope you enjoyed it, despite all the uh, issues. Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Why don't you tell us what you've got going on, where people can find you and your works of literature, so on and so forth. And if you'd like to sing a 50 song, now's the time. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, the places you can find me, uh, I have a blog called From the Shadows, from hyphen the hyphen shadows.blogspot.com. Um, I also write for mysteriousuniverse.org. Uh, I've got another uh, blog called Jason Offit, uh, dot blogspot or yeah, Jason Offit, yeah, dot blogspot.com. The uh, actual name of the blog is called Poops Funny because it is. And if you would, uh, you want to get a hold of me, please do. It's at uh, sjasonoffit.gmail.com. What I have coming up, I've uh, got a zombie novel coming out uh, this year. Ooh. There. Okay. That's it. <laughs> like, I'm done. Can I go now? No, again, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jason, for coming on. It's been great. We'll see you in two weeks. Sean. We've reached the end of yet another show. Can you believe it? What do you got going on for yourself? You know, I really don't have a whole lot going on, so instead I am going to actually take this time to very gratefully plug our contributors and kind of add those extra little colorful touches to the show. Uh, first off, as always, thank you to Benjamin J. Cologne for yet another outstanding title card, one that I, I seem to understand he told me he put three drafts into before he actually had something that he really liked. Uh, he, he said he had he was really challenged by trying to do a good portrait of Arnold. Uh, but he kept at it, kept at it, kept at it, and once more delivered superior, absolutely outstanding artwork. Go check out more of his work, including his comic Soul Exodus, which he created, wrote, drew, inked, all of the above. He's a one-man band. Uh, over at soulxo, S-O-U-L-E-X-O dot com. Um, uh, if you're listening to this uh, via Panic Expression Springboard channel, first off, welcome. And since I probably heard our new theme song, up until recently, uh, we were using an excerpt from the Foo Fighters uh, long Road to Ruin, after which our show is, for now, named until we come up with something else. Um, but uh, we have instead found a new means of doing our theme music that means paying no licensing fees to anybody. And that is, uh, I have enlisted one of my very favorite YouTube-based musicians, a fellow named Family Jewel 7 x and give you his entire name so you can go search for him, F-A-M-I-L-Y-J-U-L-E-S, the number seven, X. Uh, he is an absolute virtuoso of the sixth grade who does a litany of great rock covers of well-known video game music. Um, highly recommend you check him out. The one you heard at the top of the 
the show, uh, assuming Mark plays the right one there, is his guitar cover of a song that anybody who's familiar with the Kingdom Hearts is going with with that Kingdom Hearts anthology is going to recognize. That is "Simple and Clean" by Utada Hikaru. And if you check out the links over on his YouTube channel, I believe he still has got download links uh, for 100% free MP3 downloads of every cover he's ever done. And they are all absolutely 100% worth it. Go check him out. He's a hell of a musician, hell of a guy. He's letting us use his tunes on a rotating basis absolutely free. So, Jules, on the offhand chance you were listening to this, Thank you, man. Much appreciated. I remain a huge, huge fan, and I can't wait to see what music you make in the future. Okay. Thank you, Sean. All right. So, again, next uh, two weeks, we've got Long Road to Ruin, Alien vs. Predator, and that will conclude our three-part saga uh, through these franchises. And then after that, we'll be moving on to Back to the Future and Missing in Action um, throughout the months of uh, February and March. Um, the week from tonight, well, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom is back. We'll be reviewing Plagues of Babylon by Iced Earth. It's myself and Robert Cooper, so go ahead and listen to that. Uh, every Sunday night at 9 o'clock, it's the Formula One Ground and Pound Radio Show. Uh, this past Sunday night, we discussed uh, UFC on Fox 10, which is going to be this Saturday night, and I'll be doing live coverage for FormulaOneMania.com. Uh, we also reviewed... Uh, UFC Fight Night 35, Luke Rockhold versus Konstantinos Falupu. And we talked a little bit about GSP and Dana White and why neither one of them should ever talk in public. Um, as I said, I'll be doing the live coverage for the UFC event this Saturday night starting at 4.30 on Fight Pass, then 5 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, and then 8 o'clock on Fox Proper. Sunday night, um, Robert Winfrey is going to be hosting... Uh, solo, the 401 Ground and Pound radio show. I'm going to take the evening off and watch the Royal Rumble. And then as soon as the Royal Rumble is over, Gavin Napier, Jed Lucid, and anyone else who would like to call in, Casual Heroes, Royal Rumble recap. It's going to be fantastic. Also, hopefully sometime this week we'll get together and we'll do a Royal Rumble pre-show for the Casual Heroes. So look for that on casualheroes.com. And if I ever get around to it, uploading stuff to Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. Uh, Wednesday night at 10 o'clock on FromTheRightRadio.com is The Right Hook with myself and the Rated R Republican John Brodigan. We missed last week because life got in the way. Hopefully we'll get together and get a show going this week. And we will be talking about this and that. Probably, though, I you know, don't know if it's still in the news, we'll probably be talking about Chris Christie and, though I hate to use this term, Bridgegate. All right. So, uh, for our guest, Mr. Benjamin, uh, sorry, not Benjamin, Mr. Jason Offit, for our title cardist, Mr. Benjamin Cologne, and for my buddy and co-host, Mr. Sean Comer, be well, be safe, and behave. (laughs) 